Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged of no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we had the mind of Christ. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father in God, we thank you that you have declared unto us your eternal and heavenly wisdom. Your wisdom came to us in the form of our Savior, Jesus. You walked, He walked among us, and you've given us all things through Him. May we now receive what your Word teaches. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. As this day is the first Sunday in the Advent season, we begin thinking of the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ, though, automatically right now we think of the Incarnation. But there's many comings throughout the New Testament. In fact, if you wanted something, if you wanted to to study for Advent on your own, one potential way you could do it is just read in the Gospels all the times that Jesus comes to someone. And look at what happens. When you have a problem and then Jesus shows up, I can tell you this, in every case things don't stay the same. Now it's not always good, it's not always pleasant. Everybody didn't get happy when Jesus comes. But you know what? Sometimes when He comes to us in various things that we face, we're not happy either. Think back to a time 
when you really embarrassed yourself in public? That's a great thought. You probably try to let those memories go. Uh, if you do, you're in good company. I mean, ho hopefully you've never skipped over a baptism that was in the bulletin that you just totally didn't get to until after, you, after the service was over. I know a man. But the same thing happened to the Apostle Paul. Not that he skipped a baptism, but uh, he, he, was, he embarrassed himself in public. And he talks about it here in this passage. At Corinth, we might think of Paul as an eloquent speaker. And I'm, I'm sure he was at times. But we get a glimpse in 1 Corinthians 2 of the human Paul. And human Paul is a lot like us. And that's by design. Sometimes we think of the apostles as these kind of quasi-supermen. They had extra spiritual power that maybe if they just, you know, pulled their robe open, we, we would see, you know, S.A., super apostle right there. And, and, and because they can do all these things that we can't know. They were men. They were humans. They sinned. But they were filled with the Spirit. God worked through fallible and weak human beings. And that's Paul's point in this second chapter. Weakness, God working through man's weakness is part of His plan. It's not an accident. He didn't stumble into it. It's been the plan from all along. Today we will look at God's heavenly wisdom and, and three particular things about God's heavenly wisdom. First, we see in these first several verses, verses 1 through 5, we see the means of heavenly wisdom. The means of heavenly wisdom, and that is preaching the gospel. Paul reminds the people that he did not come to Corinth with impressive speech. But he, in fact, battled fear. What's this? This bold apostle who could reason with anyone when he was in Corinth, he battled fear. Now, some people try to, you know, to minimize that and say, well, he's just speaking uh, in hyperbole. Paul certainly would not have been afraid. Well, you would think that, except he says he was afraid. I mean, if you parse the Greek really closely, it says he was afraid. And he was in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. Now, now, why would he do that? Because the people at Corinth weren't... Everybody was not really happy that he was there. There was persecution that was going on in Corinth. They were coming after him. He, his life was in danger. So I'm going to tell you, if your life was in danger, if you knew that going to your work, if you named the name of Christ, that there was a chance that these not very nice men would come and they would do very unkind things to your person, you might have just a small case of nerves. But the message, Paul says, was clear. Even though his delivery was not perfect. The message was clear. He preached Jesus Christ, that He died and was resurrected. 
Can I tell you something great about this gospel message? It works supernaturally through ordinary means. Though Paul's words were not slick or fancy, he had one thing that no lawyer, no philosopher, or politician in Corinth had that was when they proclaimed their message. He had the Holy Spirit. This was not emotionally stirring. But planting seed, if you've ever had a garden, planting seed is not usually an emotionally moving experience. When we think of spirit-filled preaching, some expect it to produce tears, sorrow, or exhilaration. Sometimes that may be the case, but that's not what Paul is after. He's not pursuing an emotional experience with the people. He says the fruit of spirit-filled preaching is not strong feelings, but growing in faith. Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. If you've ever doubted your ability in proclaiming the gospel, which is something a lot more people than just preachers and elders are called to do, if you've ever doubted your ability, if you say, I can't do it well enough, I've got great news, Paul didn't do it well enough either. You say, he'd do it a lot better than I do. Try it. Because, because it doesn't matter how much you fall, how much you stumble, how your words may come out. Yes, you should strive to do it well. Of course you should. But often we say, if I can't do this perfectly, if I can't do whatever I'm going to do perfectly, I'm not going to do it. That's the wrong way. Because the means of heavenly wisdom is not your perfection. It's Christ's perfection. Jesus was perfect. Therefore, you're not expected to be perfect. You're not expected to be perfect in your proclamation of the good news of the gospel. It's the message of Jesus' death and resurrection, not your perfection of language that the Father uses. So that is the means of heavenly wisdom. But second, in verses 6 through 10, we see the minister of heavenly wisdom. The minister of heavenly wisdom. That is Jesus Christ crucified. In verse 6, Paul contrasts two types of wisdom. Heavenly and earthly. Earthly wisdom was what everyone expected. What, what all the nations expected. That's the type of wisdom that reigned in Rome as it previously had in Greece, Persia, and Babylon. It's the wisdom of force and manipulation for the sake of domination. It's making everyone conform to what you want, the way that you or your kingdom thinks it, they ought to be and what they ought to do. It was used by the princes of this world, as he says in verse 6. He said, we speak not in the wisdom of those who are mature, but in the wisdom of this age. Nor of the rulers of this age, which are coming to nothing. There's a wonderful message of hope just in that little statement. The rulers of this age, they have a particular type of wisdom they use, but it's coming to nothing. It's a slow process, I'll grant. That's okay. I mean, 
we're going to be around for eternity. When their way of doing things, when, when the world's way of doing things came into contact with the way of Christ, what happened? Well, it looked, it looked like that their way won. Because what did they do? They eliminated Him. It took a while. It was three years of Jesus' ministry. They were, they were some wanting to kill Him from day one when He came on the scene. But they couldn't yet. It was not time. But the rulers of this world, both the spiritual and also the physical rulers, they eliminated Jesus, or so they thought, just as they had other nations and other individuals. But what they could not comprehend was that they were actually, when they crucified the Lord of glory, they were accomplishing God's plan. God used the vanity of man to bring redemption to the world. He took the best shot that they had, the hardest punch, the sharpest sword, the most crooked dagger. He took it and turned it inside out. It's hard to comprehend what it means that God ordained this mysterious heavenly wisdom, quote, unto our glory. Because what Jesus did on the cross didn't look very glorious. And it doesn't make sense. But part of the mystery, what he calls a mystery, is that men were not supposed to get it. Have you, you know, the parables. What does Jesus say about parables? He says the parables are not given to enlighten. You say, those parables are hard to understand. That's on purpose. It's not for everyone to understand. Yes, there are some great lessons in the parables. Absolutely. But Jesus is talking about the kingdom that's coming. In those parables. Paul then quotes Isaiah 64 verse 4. When he says, Eyes not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. In that chapter, if you go back and you read Isaiah 64, that chapter is a call for God to come. And it's, He calls for God to come and He also talks about in Isaiah 64 the helplessness of man when God's glory actually arrives. It's going to be, for some, a very rough, brutal thing. No one could anticipate what it will look like. And that's what Paul is saying. The people, those who think in the world's way, don't get what he's doing. I has not seen nor ear heard, nor, has, nor is it recorded in the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love Him. What has He prepared for those who love Him? He's prepared glory. 
He's prepared an entire kingdom, not just something that's going to happen when you die. It's the, the beginning has come now. You say, well, I don't see it. Maybe not yet. That's what this life is about, is learning to see. Because Paul goes on to say in verse 10, after he quotes from Isaiah 64, he says, but God has revealed those things. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. So it is revealed to God's people. Now, God's plan, all that He's doing that's been hidden for so long, it's now we're just catching a little glimpse of it. We don't have to wait to see how God will act. Because the Messiah has come. Jesus has come. No, I'm not saying that this is as good as it's ever going to be. No, it, it will grow. It, the kingdom will grow. But we don't have to wait to see how He works. He's already demonstrated how He works. He takes the worst that evil can do into himself and eliminates it. He turns it right side up. So we see here the means of heavenly wisdom, which is the preaching of the gospel. The minister of heavenly wisdom is Jesus Christ crucified. But then the rest of the chapter is of the, the manifestation of heavenly wisdom. The manifestation of heavenly wisdom, what does it look like? It's the saints walking in faith. Verses 11 through 16. Has someone ever asked you before what you're doing? And it makes perfect sense what you're doing. And you think, why is, it, why is he or why is she asking me this? It's obvious, isn't it? Well, not quite. We know, it's, I mean, it's obvious to us because it all clicks. It all makes sense. Paul's making, he makes that point here. The only one who can know exactly why you do what you do is you. He says, verse 11, What man knows the things of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? We may not be used to that language, but, but he's saying, who knows better what you're doing but you? It's not going to be somebody else. We can all understand that. No one can see or grasp what God is doing unless God's Spirit dwells in him. He goes on to say, even so... No one knows the things of God except by the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. We have God's Spirit to open our eyes to the privileges of being His child and of seeing the world through His perspective. So, our, our life as saints, as Christians, is about going from seeing the world the way everybody else does to seeing by faith, to seeing what He's doing that goes far beyond what we can 
comprehend. So, so opening our eyes, that, that's part of the manifestation of heavenly wisdom, but that's not all. It's not just opening our eyes. Not only do we get to watch God work in His world like one watches a movie, but He calls us to come through the door to His enchanted world and participate in what He's doing. You're not just a sideline observer. You're not just someone who's watching everybody else play the game and you're thinking, man, I'd sure love to get in. Now, we all feel at times like God has sidelined us, okay? That's normal. Well, sometimes He, 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 does do, he, he, he is working with us preparing us for the next thing. That happens. But everyone is called to be a part of what he is doing. So imagine having a dream that stirs your imagination. Have you ever had one of those dreams that you thought, man, I wish that was real? I mean, we all have the dreams that we are thankful are not real, but then there are sometimes. We have a dream that we think, oh boy, that was fantastic. I wish it was like that. Well, imagine you have that dream, and then one day you discover that you've awakened, but when you wake up, it's not actually the old world, but actually when you wake up, you see that the dream is actually real. It's the dream that's real. This is what happens when the Holy Spirit brings us into God's new world. It's a gradual process with our vision slowly growing, but it's more real than anything we've ever seen with our human eyes. Let me say that again. What God is doing is more real than what you can physically see. You say, how is that possible? I don't exactly know. But it's true. But when we walk with heavenly wisdom, when we display God's heavenly wisdom, we will not be understood by others. As he says in verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Other people, when they see us doing and walking in God's wisdom, in God's ways, they think it's crazy. That'll never work, they say. It's the same thinking that views Jesus' death on the cross as a waste of a man with much potential. So do you have the courage to live contrary to the world's wisdom? When people criticize you, can you act with grace and humility? When your plans are ignored or maligned, can you rest on God's promises without reacting? When your friends turn their back on you and you don't know why, can you continue to love them, even at a distance? When people are overly demanding, can you respond with magnanimity? So this demands that we walk 
by faith. According to what God has said and not by sight. Not the way that things look with our eyes. And a renewed, this renewed mind does not come all at once. Every saint who has ever lived could only walk with God one step at a time. There are no leaps and bounds in the Christian life. That's good news. This will reorder your way of life. It will affect your choices, your thinking, and your lifestyle. It will invite judgment from others. And yes, invite is the appropriate word there. You are opening yourself up. You're making yourself vulnerable to the world saying, that's so dumb. But when they judge your odd ways, they're actually judging God's ways. So the chapter concludes with Paul quoting from what's probably, I would say, one of the greatest Advent chapters in all of Scripture, Isaiah 40. And he quotes Isaiah 40, verse 13, when he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But Paul goes on to say, he doesn't just leave the question there. He says, but we have the mind of Christ. So Isaiah, the prophet, was left with a question. When he's talking about Jesus coming, he's saying, who can understand? Who has known God's mind? And Paul says, I've got an answer. Everyone who belongs to Christ. God comes to us in weird, unique, and sometimes hard ways. Maybe it's in the loss of a job, a family crisis, a mental breakdown, or some situation we don't understand. Maybe you find yourself locked in something that you wish you could escape, but you can't, and you say, why are things the way they are right now? It doesn't make sense to me why God would allow this. When you're at that point, it's not that God has turned His back on you. It's not that your great high priest has said, I'm done with you. I'm finished. No. When you realize, I am low and I don't know where to go, you're not in any different place than the disciples were when they were stuck in the middle of a storm that they knew, unless we have divine help, we're dead. Why would God, who, is, who has all this power, we think, not protect me, my family, my work, my relationships? How can I live like everything is right when it's clearly not? You're talking about all this, this new vision that I'm supposed to have. Well, I'm looking around and I don't see anything new. How am I supposed to live? As the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 2, we don't yet see all things put under His feet. But we see Jesus. Paul is not saying to pretend that everything is all right. Neither did Jesus pretend that everything was all right when he faced trials, suffering, and death. But when these trials come, our great high priest 
walks with us through them. When the storm comes, He's there. When you feel lost, He is there. When you feel alone, He is there. You may not feel like He's there, but we know He's promised He is. Yes, we may fall and embarrass ourselves. We may think we've messed up, but dear saint, you don't know the end of your story. This is the God who works in and through our weakness, not in spite of our weakness. He takes you wherever you are and He uses you. He works things in you that He, cannot, he would not work in anybody else. And He uses vessels like us. He's working things in you, in your best points and in your weakest points, no matter how old you are, no matter how young you are, no matter how weak or strong you are, you can rest upon Him in faith and you can play your role in His kingdom. That's the good news of the mystery of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your good promises. May we now receive from You. May we grow and may we be strengthened through Christ we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.